feast your eyes on this, Laura. How does that make your wallet rumble? I'm sorry. I only play for sport. Then you'll like a big park. Peru. Alright troops, welcome to episode 33 of the Tarot Hack Podcast. I'm your man Chris Gullion coming to you live from, well, pre-recorded from the bowels of Tyrell Hack HQ, aka the kitchen, um, in our house because uh, Louise and baby Serena are sleeping upstairs and this is the furthest room in the house away from them so hopefully I can't be heard. <laughs> so if there's a bit of an echo, I apologise, that's just the acoustics of this room. Um, if it's really distracting, let me know in your various forms of feedback and I'll try and look into some sort of noise cancelling reduction te- uh, techniques and methods in the future. But hopefully it should sound okay. Um, it just enhances the bass of my voice, which people have said in the past is quite dreamy. So there you go. By people, I mean me. Um, I thought I'd start by just talking about what I've currently been playing because it's been a while since I've done a podcast for obvious baby-related reasons. Um most, not most recently but fairly recently I was playing the Switch version of Night Trap 25th Anniversary Edition um, it actually is the first time uh, anyone in Europe has got to play the the 25th Anniversary version because although it came out on Playstation 4 months and months ago um, it was delayed uh, by Peggy uh, it wasn't actually, it wasn't delayed by Peggy it was but um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to tell the story but essentially um, it was submitted to Peggy um, and they essentially lost it and found it in their junk mail or something like that months later so that's the reason it wasn't released in Europe um, I'm not sure whether that story is known or not but oh well, uh, nobody's going to go leaking it the, the, but yeah, so, so it's still not out on PS4 it's coming out soon um, in Europe um, and it's coming to Xbox One apparently at some point in Europe too but and it's on PC, but in terms of consoles, the Switch version is the first time anyone in Europe will get to play this new Night Trap, and it's great. It's, I mean, obviously Night Trap's an acquired taste. I think it's great. Um, I had people on the Night Trap, one guy in particular on the Night Trap Facebook page, which I'm a member of because I love Night Trap, absolutely slaughtering me because I reviewed it for Nintendo Life. You can check out Nintendo Life, my full review of it's over there, and I gave it a 7 because as much as I love Night Trap, um, I'm realistic. I mean, come on, it's not to everyone's taste. Um, it's as good a version of Night Trap as you'll get, but it's still Night Trap, and much as I love it, um, I appreciate it. It'd be pretty um, irresponsible of me to say, well, I love it, therefore um, everyone else is going to love it, because it's, it's unlike reviewing a game that's uh, brand new and that nobody knows about. With, with Night Trap, you've got the hindsight of 25 years of people kind of... Some people overreacting. You, it's, there's a scene of... The Guardian or someone posted an article a couple of weeks ago listing the five worst games, uh, the five worst games of all time, five worst games of all time that some people like, and Night Trap was one of them. And I was like, come on, Night, Night Trap is cheesy and it's um, very much a relic of its time, but it's not one of the worst games ever. That's just fucking mental. That's people overreacting and thinking it's hilarious because. They've read it on the internet once that someone said Night Trap was a bad game and they've decided that therefore it's one of the worst. It's no E.T. or Superman 64 or Wheelspin or um, Too Fast for Gnomes or Flashlight DS um, or Ninja Bread Man or anything like that. So um, it is what it is. 
but yeah, so it's it's worth a look. It's, it's not the best version of the new one. The, the PS4 one's still a wee bit better because the Switch version, um, some of its longer cut scenes, like the famous kind of party scene, uh, the quality's dropped a bit. Um, presumably the Switch can't really cope with uh, massive videos and handling juggling various like multiple videos at the same time. So it looks like the bit rate was dropped for the longer videos, but. Um, there we go. But other than that, it's, it's pretty good. Also currently playing Pro Evolution Soccer 2019. Um, anyone who knows me knows I'm a FIFA man, uh, but because Celtic were featured so heavily this year, um, I couldn't not buy Pro Evo and see see what it's got in its locker. It's good fun. It plays a good a good game of video soccer. Um, through balls are quite satisfying in it, and it plays a nice big passing game. Um, it's not fully up to date yet. Um, I don't know if you could call it rushed, but it just seems to be have been released without all the content, essentially. So um, I went to Celtic Park a month or two ago. Um, I put a video up on my YouTube channel showing, it was like a preview event, showing off the game. Um, and at that point they showed a trailer and, and like some screenshots of the Celtic team with some, like the players with their real faces. Um, it turns out the only the players that they showed in that trailer are the only ones with real faces so far. Um, on that day, the preview day, they, they were going to Celtic's training ground to do full body scans of all the players on that day um, and also take photos of the stadium and all that to put the stadium Celtic Park in the game. Uh, so it just appears to be the case that uh, that stuff isn't ready yet and it's coming later in a free update. Uh, so for now, maybe six or seven Celtic players oh, are we? Um, have real faces and all the rest are just generic looking mannequin faces but they'll all be coming presumably once the full body scans get put into the game so that's good also playing a couple of games that are embargoed just now so I can give very early impressions but I can't commit to any opinions just yet uh, because that'd be breaking the embargo I'm playing Labo uh, 3 the vehicle kit um, so so far I've built a foot pedal um, the key to work it and I'm starting to build the steering wheel um, so that's all I'm at just now with that. There'll be a full review of that. I believe the 13th is the embargo because uh, it's out in the 14th so um, yeah so expect a review of that on the 13th. Um, another embargo on the 13th which might not be done in time might be a bit later just because Louise's dad's coming over to visit. <laughs> you're going to react, if you know what this game is you're going to react in a very interesting way but hear me out. Um, I got code for Senran Kagura Reflections on the Switch um, and it's purely out of morbid curiosity because for those who aren't aware of it um, it looks fairly sexually explicit and seems to almost entirely revolve around touching up young schoolgirls. Um, so when the PR email went around saying is anyone brave enough to take this on essentially and, and, and review it I was like well... Um, Yes, I want to see how outrageous this is. By no, to be clear, I do not condone it in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but um, part of me is morbidly curious to see how far um, the Western release is allowed to go on a Nintendo system. Uh, so we'll see. Um, I don't expect it to be, I've not started it yet, I don't expect it to be a game that I enjoy, <laughs> so don't worry about that, but um, I, I, I just want to, I, I can see it being one of those situations where I'm sitting playing it just like slack-jawed, just saying I cannot believe they got away with letting you do that, so we'll, we'll see, I will, I will report back my findings um, in suitably outraged fashion I would imagine, but there you go.
Um, so that's what I've been playing. Let's go into the news. There's a couple of interesting tidbits in the news recently. Uh, 2K, uh, 2K games when the uh, bold-faced brass neck um, embarrassment of the week award. Um, in a recent interview, 2K's senior producer Rob Jones has said that microtransactions are an unfortunate reality of modern gaming. Um, it's just for context, NBA 2K18 uh, got absolutely destroyed by fans and critics for its microtransaction system where essentially it's a career mode called My Player um, where you play a series of basketball games and every time you you when you play a game you get some currency basically which can then be spent on upgrading your player stats and it's called like the the, the subtitle is like the road to 99 or something like that because eventually you want to get your stats up to 99 and become like an all-star player and everything and you start on like 60 or 70 or something like that um but it goes at such a slow rate uh, that you have to grind and grind and grind and grind and you're talking hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of hours to get up to that stage um, and that's if you're playing games of the shortest kind of time limit uh, so people very rightly were, were get tore into uh, 2k last year saying this is a disgrace because obviously the, the plan is well the, the intention was that oh sorry is this taking too long well why not drop us 20 or 30 quid or more in some cases up to 80 or 90 dollars um, on a big bag of coins uh, and you can just boost your stats right away instead of having to actually play the game, which is kind of the point of it. Um, so yeah, it was it was pretty shameless um, attempt at money grabbing. So amazingly, this 2K senior producer Rob Jones has said that microtransaction is an unfortunate rally, and he says as a quote, he says every game at some point in some way has currency, and they're trying to get additional revenue from each player that plays a game. That's bullshit right away because not every game has currency. Mario Kart doesn't have currency. Uh, Super Mario Odyssey doesn't have currency um, The Last of Us doesn't have currency in single player at least, I'm not sure about multiplayer um, Quantum Break didn't have currency uh, I'm pulling random games out of my arse here but the, the point remains that all these games didn't have in-game currency uh, and, th- and weren't trying to get additional revenue from each player um, so he, he goes on in our quote, we know nowadays that most people don't have the patience to work their way to the top. They just want to be there right away. So, you know, we look at it as, oh, it's an opportunity for us to allow you to skip the grind. But then if the grind is too long, like some people felt last year, they're going to sit there and they're going to go, well, you knew the grind was too long to begin with. That's It's good that he's acknowledging that. So it'll be interesting to see if they actually do something about it this year. Um, I'm going to hopefully try and review 2K19 because I like that series in general. Um... 2K18 did a lot of good things. That was that was by far the worst thing because it kind of ruined the flow of what is to many people the best mode, um, and made it really made us feel like a slog rather than you were making. It didn't really feel like you were making any real progression because after every game you're putting you're adding like one stat point, um, and, and there's like hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of stat points to build up over time, and it's like, well, this is going to take fucking months to to do. So it didn't feel you have to it's a carrot and stick situation a game has to for a game to have compelling progression it has to dangle the carrot in front of you in the right kind of the right distance um, and just keep it right in front of your head just so you can't kind of constantly 
willing to go forward and forward and forward and because you, you, you're getting satisfaction in the progression. Maybe you're getting a wee nibble of the carrot every now and then. Like to, Every time you hit a certain level after every couple of hours, you get new stats or new skills or whatever. The problem with the NBA 2K18 was that it put the carrot on a fucking uh, fishing pole, uh, tied it around a bit of string and fucking launched it into the sea um, and expected you to still want to go after the carrot. Uh, when in reality you would see the carrot miles away and go fuck that I'm not I'm not putting that much effort in to reach that carrot. Uh, that is a carrot metaphor, well and truly rinsed. Um, so yeah, this guy's got a fucking cheek. Um, especially last week they were asking uh, the Belgian Gaming Commission decided that loot boxes were uh, violated Belgium's gambling laws because they're gambling, which of course they are. They're gambling because you're spending money on something, um, and it might y- the result may be worthless to you. Um, never mind their argument that oh sometimes you'll, you you're always getting something you you it's, that's no use if the stuff you're getting isn't isn't what you want or you already have it um, and there's no way of you being able to trade it so it's not like buying packs of cards or packs of stickers because you can always trade those bit as you can with uh, often with with in game items um, so yeah the other week they they were saying they brought out a statement asking players to contact their local government representative and communicate their opinion because of Belgium saying that loot boxes are breaking the law. Like, what a fucking cheek. I was <laughs> just saying, saying to the players, oh, Belgium's not letting us uh, fleece you for more money. Go and tell them you want you want to be fleeced. Go and tell them that you want it. <laughs> As if like, um, I don't know, it's just it's unbelievable. Like if someone gives me a kick in, um, and they go up in front of the courts, um, and his lawyer then says to me, "Listen, this guy really wants to be able to give people a kicking. Um, if you want to continue to be able to get to be given a kicking, you should stand up and tell your politicians that uh, like assault should no longer be a criminal offence, because um, everyone loves getting a kicking, um, and it's, a, it's your wallet that's getting a kicking with this microtransactions bullshit. So it's amazing that he's saying." This is an unfortunate reality of modern gaming. It's unfortunate because you fucking did it. It's you're you're the one who made it. You know, <laughs> I mean, you don't pour water on the floor and fall on your ass and go, oh, that floor was unfortunately slippy. Uh, you you caused it. So don't you can't moan about it if you did it. Oh, what a terrible situation we're in now. He says, fucking uh, emptying the bullets out of the gun to try and hide the evidence. It's, you're. Uh, so it's, it's one thing that really winds me up is microtransactions still. Um, that amazes the, me that we... Um, it, it got... It, it got to the level of... It got to such a ridiculous level and was made to dial back with the Star Wars carry-on and all that kind of stuff to the extent that normal microtransactions and loot boxes look okay now. Um, because it's that classic, I don't know if I've said this before on, on a podcast, but it's that classic um, 80s uh, horror movie trick that they did with the MPAA, who were the Motion Picture Association of America, who did, who essentially gave movie certificates in America and requested cuts and stuff. So during the 80s, there's a big epidemic with slasher movies where all the Friday the 13th movies, there was, there was kind of outrage about how they're warping children's minds and all that, and all these gory deaths are unacceptable. So the MPAA started getting harsh and cracking down on it. And the, the, the film studios thought, well, that's a bit rubbish because the whole point of uh, slasher movies is the gore. That's the, that's the kind of fun bit. Um, and you're telling us to take it out, so that's a bit bullshit. 
So what they did, they got around it, they um, deliberately filmed extra gory scenes that they never wanted to put in the movie in the first place. Uh, so they made these really super violent cuts of the film uh, with outrageous gore and fountains of blood splashing all over the place and everything that was just looked ridiculous and over the top and was never going to be in the film. And they would submit that as the final movie. Um, and the MPA would come back and say, are you, are you kidding? There's no way this can be passed without severe cuts being made. And then they would say, oh, really? Okay, okay. And they would go back. And what they would do is they would, um, go, they would, they would then give them the version that they originally wanted to release with the, with the normal kind of gory death scenes that, that by any other standard would be considered quite gory, but cons- because they'd just seen something outrageous and they'd seen this and said, kind of, uh, trained their brain into thinking, oh, okay, that's, that's much better. That's nowhere near as bad as it was. So, okay. And they passed these movies. Um, so it's quite a sneaky trick, but it's what's going on just now. Like, companies are pushing the microtransactions to ridiculous amounts. You look at this 2K18 one, which is obscene. The Star Wars Battlefront one, which is terrible. Um, and everyone's, it's reached that kind of point now where everyone said, wait a minute, this is absolute bullshit. And now gambling commissions are looking into it and politicians are looking into it. So all it means is next year, 2K19 is probably going to go back to the way 2K17 was, which was still fleecing you for microtransactions to, uh, boost your player stats. It just wasn't as over the top as that. Um, and you're still going to get loot boxes and games, but they'll just be for cosmetic stuff, quote unquote. And you'll still be able to buy paid DLC for specific armor and specific outfits for your character or, em- or emotes in Fortnite or whatever you want. You're still being fleeced money left, right and center, but because we've just had the most, the more outrageous version of it, it's going to seem fine now. Uh, the, the bar has been raised to such an extent that if you lower it, it seems like a happy compromise, whereas in reality, um, you go back 10 years and none of this shit existed. Um, but yeah, sorry, that was we ran there. <laughs> yeah, moving on, Sony CEO uh, Kenichiro Yoshida was being interviewed by the Press Association and the, the whole Fortnite issue was brought up. Uh, speaking of Fortnite, so um, for those who don't know, Fortnite is cross-play on, other, on all systems except for PlayStation 4. Um, so if you own the Xbox One version um, and you decide you want to uh, play it on the Switch, you can do that. So you can play it on the move on your Switch and then play it at home on your Xbox. Uh, the problem is that um, Sony have essentially locked it down so that if you have ever played Fortnite on PlayStation 4, and bear in mind Fortnite's account system is through Epic Games, it's nothing to do with Sony. So you need an Epic Games account and that's what you log in with. But Sony have put the lockdown on that account. So if you sign in your Epic Games account on the PlayStation 4 and then try and play the game on either an Xbox or the Switch, you'll get a message saying, no, it's locked to the PS4. Uh, PS4 now you can't play on any other system, despite it being an Epic Games account and nothing to do with Sony, uh, which is grade A bullshit. Um that's blatantly locking out the competition. And the annoying thing is, like, so, thankfully, I mean, I don't play Fortnite, but if I did, I'd be massively pissed off at that. Because say it was FIFA, which is what I play, um, and FIFA's got this ultimate team mode where you build your team and all that kind of stuff. If that was locked to Xbox, which is what I play, um, and then it comes out on another system and I'm not allowed to transfer over my data, that would be a massive ball ache. Because Fortnite has microtransactions like many other games not all games as 2k believe but many games um and people have been spending money on other versions of fortnite including the ps4 version so when the switch version came out at e3 and people started trying to play that 
um, and realised quite quickly, wait a minute, all that money I spent on the PS4 version um, on like making my player look all fancy, I can't now pass it on to the Switch version. I basically have to start from scratch on the Switch. Um, put me at a disadvantage against Xbox and PC players who can jump on the Switch no problem with all their stuff. Bullshit. So Yoshida at Sony has said to the Press Association, there's a quote, uh, on cross-platform, on cross our way of thinking is always that PlayStation is the best place to play Fortnite. Uh, is the best place to play... Oh God, I can't even speak. Our way of thinking is always that PlayStation is the best place to play. Fortnite, I believe, partnered with PlayStation 4 is the best experience for users. That's our belief. So basically, the, the, the response is... We're not changing our mind. PS4 is Fortnite is on PS4 is going to be locked to our account. And if you've ever played Fortnite on PS4, you now can't play with that account on any other, any other system because we think PlayStation is the best way to play it, which is jaw dropping. Because number one, it isn't objectively, it isn't because um, you can play it on a handheld on the Switch. You can't do that on PS4. And if you want to play on a home console, Xbox One X version performs better. Uh, so objectively, it is not best. PlayStation is not the best place to play Fortnite. It's either Xbox or Switch, depending on how you play. Uh, PlayStation is the middle of the road place to play Fortnite because it's not as powerful as Xbox and it's not as flexible as Switch. Um, so that's bullshit right away from the start. But locking people out and saying, no, you're only going to play it on our system now and that's it, you've made your decision. It goes back to what I was saying a year or two ago. Um, and I can constantly say that Sony has this this loop where they go arrogant then humble, arrogant then humble, and they're on full on arrogant just now uh, because they, they fucked up with the PS3, got really humble with the PS4 coming out saying, oh, we're making it for developers now. No, no, no. Don't worry, we're listening. Uh, poking wee jabs at Xbox with their used games thing at E3 when the Xbox One was announced saying, oh, they're not listening to you, but we're listening to you, we care. PS4 starts selling a shitload because of that and now they're getting arrogant again. Oh no, we'll decide. Uh, we'll tell you what you want to play. We, we've, we've decided that PlayStation 4 is the best and that nobody should want to play on the Xbox or play on the Switch or play on anything else once you start playing on us. Uh, so we'll decide that you, you're not getting to do it because we're the best. Um, it's fucking jaw-dropping uh, arrogance. So I, guess, I get the feeling it's going to bite them in the arse uh, next generation. If, if we get another generation of consoles and we're talking PS5 and Xbox One, Two, or whatever the hell they're going to call it, Xbox Infinity or something, uh, I, I think it's going to, I'm, I'm calling it now, it's going to switch back to Xbox. Especially if they keep Game Pass and backwards compatibility. Uh, Sony coming out saying no one wants to play old games anymore, they look ancient. Um, which again was another unbelievable statement. Um, where at the same time Microsoft saying something like a million hours or backwards compatibility games were being logged on Xbox One or something like that. Uh, that just kind of says it all. Um, so yeah, if, if next E3 or whatever E3 it is, the new systems get announced and Xbox says we're carrying over Game Pass, if you subscribe to Game Pass, every one of our new first party games will go straight on, straight up as part of your Game Pass subscription on day one. Uh, and also backwards compatibility is included. Uh, it's a no-brainer. Everyone's going to jump back to Xbox, uh, and the, the, and as long as Sony keep doing more bullshit like this crossplay stuff, um, it's just going to the, the the cycle's going to repeat again, and Sony will be second um, in that competition. Obviously, Nintendo's its own thing. Uh, so yeah, there we go. And finally, Polygon are no longer putting scores in the reviews, and 
Bill Tyler um, on Twitter, one of my Twitter followers, asks me a question about that. He says, drop in review scores, a brave step or a misstep? Um, it's fine. Like, obviously, on my site, I don't have review scores because uh, I hate it. I hate that um, environment, not environment, I, I hate that culture of um, in your review coming out and people just skipping all the words that you've spent all those uh, sometimes hours like sculpting this review and everyone just like goes like rinses their uh, mouse's scroll wheel right down to the bottom just to see what the number is and then jump straight on the comment saying what an eight I thought that was a six was, oh, you, number one you've not played it number two you've not read why I've given it an eight uh, give me the courtesy of letting me explain myself um, so yeah I, I, I'm, I've got no opinion either way about Polygon but um, if it was me and I had the choice of doing it again I wouldn't put scores in my reviews again um, I'm happy with the decision I made uh, because it makes people actually read the reviews and fine I'll get fewer people reading them uh, but I go shit um, Metacritic, I'm on Metacritic um, and the numbers and Polygon were saying this as well today, the, the, the traffic you get from Metacritic is actually negligible um, unless you are one of the highest or lowest scores on there uh, or you're covering a game that hardly anyone else is covering. If you're covering a big game and your score is somewhere in the middle, no one's clicking that. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're on Metacritic, no one really. Unless you're the highest score, everyone will click it to see what... Uh, all the, It's basically a fanboy baiting thing. Um, say Spider-Man comes out. Um, I've not looked at the Metacritics for that yet, but I'm guessing from what I've seen uh, colleagues, not colleagues, but peers saying in, in private... Uh, it's going to be a mixed bag, I would imagine. It's going to be generally high, but there are going to be some people saying, I think, it's quite repetitive from what I've heard people saying. Um, so I can imagine you're going to have situations where some people are giving it a 10, um, and you're going to get Xbox fans jumping on there in the comments saying, fuck off. Um, and other people are going to give it, what, like a 6 or a 7, and you're going to get PlayStation fans jumping over there to their comments saying, fuck off. So the extreme highs and extreme lows get all the traffic because people want to jump in and have a go at them, and all the middles, no one cares. No one cares at all. So Metacritic um, isn't even an argument for giving game scores anymore. Traffic isn't really a, a thing. Um, it's a thing, but it's it's negligible. Um, so yeah, if it was me, I, I, I agree with them. If it was me, I would. And also because Polygon have fucked reviews in the past. And I mean, I say Polygon, the movie specific writers or editors or whatever. Um, I've always been annoyed that uh, when the Wii U launched, they reviewed the Wii U, uh, before any of its online components were added, uh, gave it a six and said we'll update this review basically once it's a complete package and they never did. Uh, so, like, although it's a given that the Wii U wasn't a massively successful system, I always thought it was extremely unfair to review something like that before the eShop was at, was live, before Miiverse was on it, which is, was a massive part of the Wii U's uh, online kind of network. Uh, before any of that was made live um, they, they reviewed the console and gave it a 6 which I think was massively unfair and, and they never went back to it they never went, so that was always a 6 it still is to this day I believe so So yeah, I've never been in favour of review scores so I'm all, all for sites ditching them because um, hopefully I'll get people actually learning to read um, and forming actual uh, logical um making logical debates based on the words in the reviews rather than arguing numbers. So, yeah, I'm up for it.
Bill Tyler also asks about Nintendo Switch Online. What's that all about, eh? He says, because obviously Nintendo Switch Online is coming later this month, September, um, and some details are still kind of uh, scarce. We still don't really know a lot about um, cloud saves, how they're going to work, or how what happens if you log into your account on another Switch. Can you download games onto that that you were you downloaded on? Uh, your your main switch and stuff like that. I also don't know what the other ten NES games are going to be, uh, which I'm more intrigued about because I don't play much online anyway, so I'm not fast. But um, I still want to subscribe to to get these NES games. Um, I'm still keen to see what there's, there's still some kind of big heavy hitters that aren't confirmed for it yet on the NES. Obviously, confirmed are the likes of Super Mario Bros. One and Three and Doctor Mario and. Um, the first Zelda and stuff like that, but they've not confirmed stuff like Zelda Two, or Super Mario Brothers Two, or Kid Icarus or Excite Bike, um, uh, stuff like that. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, the, the smart choice would be to team up with Konami and put Castlevania on there because if Simon Belmont's going to be in Smash Brothers, um, it makes sense to um, put Castlevania in there to kind of teach kids about like newcomers about what who he is before. Uh, Smash Brothers comes out later in the year, uh, so that would kind of make sense. Um, but we'll see. It would also be nice if um, in the coming months they start adding SNES games and they add Donkey Kong Country so that people know who King K. Rool is as well, but, um, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, I'm still looking forward to it. I'm, I, just having 20 NES games on day one um, is good enough for me. I don't really care about the online side of things, considering it's like two quid a month or whatever it is, this, you can't really complain. Considering it used to be um, NES games on the Wii and I believe Wii U Virtual Console were like £4.50 each. Um, so 20 of those games would be 90 quid um, and you're getting them on day one for £2 a month. I'm happy with that. That's a massive saving. That was my big issue with Virtual Console all along was it was too expensive. Um, and now it looks like it isn't. The, the, the selection is small, at least at first, but you've got to think over the months they'll add to it and add to it and add to it and add to it and it'll just become better value for money as it goes along, uh, which is kind of what I'd expected because you know what the internet's like. If they, they could have easily said, right, here's our entire NES catalogue, our entire SNES catalogue, our entire N64 catalogue, um, our entire Game Boy and Game Boy Color uh, catalogue all on day one, fill your boots. You know, within two weeks, people will be saying, "Where's Game Boy Advance and where's GameCube?" Um, people, the internet is never happy, so they might as well buy themselves some time. If 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 you're not happy with only twenty NES games at launch, then you can blame the internet because we've brought it on ourselves by being miserable bastards and by being impossible to satisfy. Um, so they're staging it out so that they've got a nice announcement every month or two I would imagine so every month they can say here's another 10 NES games, here's another few SNES games and just kind of trot it out so such is life um, Ewan James asks we're on to questions now in case you haven't figured out uh, Ewan James asks rank the best and worst controllers to use in Smash Brothers obviously I've not played Smash Brothers yet it's not ready for review yet um, but I would imagine I would imagine the Switch Pro controller is probably going to be the best way to play it. That's the way I'm going to be playing it. At least I'm not that, I'm not one of these GameCube controller uh, maniacs who are like swear by it. Um, and so I would imagine Pro controller best, then GameCube, then uh, the game, the, then handheld mode, and then finally the Joy Cons last. I would guess. 
but again, that's guesswork. I've not got the review copy yet, so we don't know yet. Um, a few questions about my new child, uh, because obviously that's been dominating my life just now, so it only goes to uh, stands to reason that a lot of the questions coming in are about Serena. Um, Thomas asks, how have your gaming habits evolved since the arrival of your wee cherub? Is Switch your go-to now because of portability? Yeah, pretty much. Um, at nights, uh, Louise takes her up. We, we take her up for her bath and then Louise takes her to bed uh, just to feed her and calm her down and put her in the uh, cot in the crib. Uh, so um, she likes that to be kind of mummy-baby time where they can kind of bond a bit. So um, I can go downstairs and spend an hour or two playing some games and if she needs me, she shouts up and I'll come back up and help. Um, but when I do come up to bed, if I'm not that tired, I'll bring the Switch up with me and, and play it in bed. So yeah, the Switch is definitely... Had more of it. I was, I was playing it anyway, but I'm playing it even more now um, because I'm in bed earlier and, and so I get to keep playing it, so that's good. Um, on a similar note, Stephen Woodcraft asks, What games would you recommend playing with a newborn around? Um, anything that's gonna got quick, short bursts because at any point she could lose her shit and then you're going to have to stop doing what you're doing. Uh, stuff like FIFA Online uh, is a no go. Um, anything that asks you to commit to 15, 20 minutes unbroken um, and punishes you for quitting early uh, is pretty much the, the number of FIFA games I've had to quit and forfeit the match um, is depressing so <laughs> don't do not do that stuff like Picross because you can finish levels really quickly or, or any kind of platformer where you can save after each stage um, those are the, the keys uh, when you've got a newborn about like stuff that's uh, got shot or, or with a lot of checkpoints or save points and that you can save automatically and again switch is great for that because you can just turn the power off whenever you want uh, and turn it on and resume it automatically so that's that's good for that purpose um colin hudman asks any particular games you're looking forward to playing with your daughter when she's old enough or as a family um i'm looking forward to playing the lego games but that's, that's kind of a given and also super mario 3d world i'm kind of keeping my fingers crossed uh, like Chewy Bitems asks, do you think there's more Wii U Switch ports in the near future? I'm keeping my fingers crossed for new Super Mario, uh, not new Super Mario, Super Mario 3D World, um, because that was great on uh, Wii U, um, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that to come to the Switch. I've not heard anything yet. Uh, there are more Wii U Switch ports in the near future. I know of some, uh, which I leaked on Twitter many months ago now, and. For whatever reason, the announcements were delayed, so um, I'm sitting on photoshopped images of me circling more initials that I've tweeted out on Twitter like months ago, um, and the games haven't been... There's two games in particular that are ports, um, one a Wii U port and one a Wii port, um, and they still haven't been announced yet, so I can't reveal them yet until they're announced because I don't like leaking stuff. Um, so once they're announced, I'll post the tweets and see, say, see, told you. Um, and I'll refer back to this podcast so you know I wasn't lying. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's more, there's more Switch ports coming. In terms of games I'm looking forward to playing with Serena, um, anything really. I'm, I'm just hoping that she gets into it. You can't force these things on a kid. If she doesn't give a shit about games, she doesn't give a shit about games. Um, and I'll encourage her to do whatever it is she wants to do. Uh, but we'll see. Fingers crossed. That'd be nice. Um, 
And also Robbie Smith asks if I've got a newfound empathy for Yoshi and Yoshi's Island uh, since he's carrying a baby about with him all the time and having to take care of him. Yes, I, 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 I uh, appreciate the the terror of hearing a baby cry more now. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, a couple more questions and then we'll call it a day. Jordan Weatherby says, has your opinion on HD Rumble changed since you first saw the Switch? I remember you thinking it was great, but expected it to never be used. That's true. I'd say way back when, like Podcast 2 or something like that, when they, uh, when I first tried 1-2 Switch at the Nintendo press event and got to mess about with the HD Rumble, um, at the time I was thinking, this is fantastic. It will never be used um, in anything to, to, for any use. Um, and for the most part, Part that's been the case, but there's been a couple of interesting me things. The the moped bike thing in Super Mario Odyssey is brilliant. That's quite impressive. Uh, there's a couple of other games that use it quite well. I'm concerned about the aforementioned Senran Kagura game because apparently that uses HD Rumble to great effect. So that's potentially disturbing. Uh, so I'll report back on that. Um, but yeah, generally it tends to be some sort of kind of some racing games make good use of it. Some there've been some kind of interesting. This may be a list feature in the making. Uh, the best uses of HD Rumble so far in games. I'll, I'll maybe look into that because there's been some interesting um, versions, uh, interesting uses of it. So that's quite good. Um, Smarty says, "Can we talk about how amazing you are?" Yes, uh, always uh, send me your. PayPal address and I'll give you the fiver for saying that. Um, or Mario Party, he says, I'd love to see what you think of the game based on what you've seen. I've actually deliberately not seen a lot of Mario Party because um, I expect to be reviewing it. I, I, usually when I'm reviewing a game and I know I'm going to be reviewing it, um, I avoid as much of it as I can because I like to... In, back when I was still at CVG and in places like in O&M and reporting on news as well as reviews, um going to preview events and stuff like that, a lot of games got spoiled for me. A lot of the game content got spoiled for me early on. Uh, so by the time I finally got to playing the game and I'd already written 20 news stories on it on CVG or written big 8-page preview articles on it on in O&M, by the time I actually played the game, it was kind of, there weren't a lot of surprises left. So these days now, because I don't have to write news stories and I only do reviews and whatever I want to do, um, I kind of deliberately avoid details of games if I can help it. Um, if I know I'm going to end up playing, the only exception was Smash because I watched that direct. But um, yeah, in terms of Mario Party, other than that kind of brief reveal during E3, I've deliberately avoided um, any details until I get a copy of it so I can kind of in, like, enjoy it fresh, as fresh as I can. So yeah, I can't really comment on it yet because <laughs> I don't have it yet. Um, Kev Moneyball Maze asks, at what point do you stop becoming a collector and start becoming a hoarder? Um, when you start buying any old shit that you don't need. Um, if you're a collector, you've got a set goal, I think. You want to collect every NES game ever made or you want to collect every Amiibo like I'm doing. Uh, like I, I would consider myself a collector at this point. I would consider myself both in different ways. So I would consider myself a collector in that I've got every Disney Infinity figure, I've got every Lego Dimensions figure, and I want every Amiibo, I've got some like 20 to get. Um, but I'm also a hoarder in some respects, in that if I'm at a charity shop or something and I'll see an old retro game, I'll just buy it for the sake of it, even if I don't necessarily need it for any collection. So I've got um, a Mega Drive copy of FIFA 95, a Game Gear copy of 
um, Axe Battler, the Golden Axe RPG, a couple of CDI games, um, some sort of two Saturn games, um, just totally random stuff, boxing on Intellivision, <laughs> just totally, completely random games. Um, I think that's Hoarder. Um, tendencies because it's like that's not part of a collection that's just random shit that I'm I see and decide no I want that I don't want anyone else to have that that's for me um, so yeah it's, I think you stop becoming a collector and start becoming a hoarder when you, there's no rhyme or reason to your quote unquote collecting and you're just buying any old shit to, to fill your room uh, that's my definition and finally Ross Parry asks playing into the breach recently and I got to thinking do you think it's better for a game to try to be good at many things or be focused on being really good at one or really great at one thing? Um the latter. I think being a jack of all trades is a, it's very rare that a game can try a million different things and the whole package to succeed. The, the only the, the rare exceptions include Mario games, like Mario Galaxy, I've always said is the most ridiculous game because it, it tries to be good at loads of different things and pulls it off, which is one of the rarest things. Um, like I've said in the past, every, the, there are some mechanics that that game introduces, um, especially in Galaxy 2, where like Boo Mario only appears for a single stage and Spring Mario only appears for a, sting, a single stage. And those are mechanics that other developers would turn into an entire game, like some sort of ghost based platformer, um, or, confusing springy based platformer uh, whereas Galaxy and Galaxy 2 introduced them for like one stage and they went okay you're done with that we'll move on doing something else um, but that's the exception by and large if a game tries to be too many things it, it stumbles and it loses its way and generally the better games are the ones that focus on one mechanic or one central idea and nails it um, and be- makes doing that one thing really satisfying um, and yeah so that's what I prefer my voice is going if it wasn't already obvious um, <clears throat> so I'm going to stop it there uh, thank you very much for listening to the Tyrell Hack podcast if you enjoyed it please do review on iTunes and such um, please do spread the word it's been a while since I've done this so um, I always like it on Twitter when people are asking about what podcast they should listen to and people recommend this one, I really appreciate that. It's a good way for people to kind of um, find out more about me because obviously I'm still fairly niche in the grand scheme of things. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that. And so please do like and whatever it is you're supposed to do on iTunes, review it and stuff and tweet about it and all that. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. I'll try and be back soon with another quick one. Uh, Louise's dad is over from Canada. Uh, tomorrow and he's over for a week and a half so the site's going to be fairly quiet in that time, uh, other than the Labo review going up on the 13th um, there might not be much activity but after he's gone um, expect other stuff maybe that Senran Kagura thing might give a, an outraged article at some point um, and uh, my next cartography feature for those who don't know I've been doing articles on carton games with the aim being to hopefully one day, many years from now, to have covered every licensed carton game and have this big leaderboard definitively ranking them from best to worst um, based on the quality of the license, the the characters involved, the the, the, the carts, the, the vehicles that the game uses, the quality of the tracks, um, and obviously how fun it is to play. And there's a kind of 40-point 
scoring system based on that. So it's not some arbitrary number that reviews have. It's like it's very scientific, I think you'll find, uh, which is a bit of fun, really. But um, I've been enjoying doing it because it lets me do it in real detail, almost like an old 90s magazine would have done. So every single character and track and power up and uh, vehicle is kind of studied in detail. And the, the reaction's been quite good. So um, I've got the third one kind of work in progress, and it's Mickey Speedway USA on the N64. Um, and also a wee bonus section on the Game Boy Color version. Um, so that'll be coming later in the month after Louis's dad goes. Um, but yeah, there we go. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, please do keep in touch on Twitter and such. Let me know what you think of various gaming stuff. I always like to keep the chat going. Um, and I'll catch you in the flip-flop later with another podcast soon. Thanks guys, bye-bye.